<laughs> we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Playgrounding Podcast. I'm Kara Stewart-Fortier, podcasting from the Treehouse here at Theory Labs at the Brewery Artist Complex in LA. Today, you're going to meet another resident of the brewery, Bruce Gray. Bruce is one of those incredibly prolific and well-loved artists. Um, he gets to, as he says, play every day. And if you saw the inside of his his dwelling, you would just see what really looked like many, many wonderful, large, amazing toys. Um, I love on this podcast to make sure that the discussions that we have aren't just about telling you how important play is. Um, and most of the play experts we have on, especially like last week's Tony Perone, um, Dr. P, um, a practitioner of play also, but I also want to bring on people who really don't even know that they're play advocates because they've just lived it their entire lives. Um, those are the people that brought me to do this in the first place. They just live that way and they don't even realize it. So he, this is Bruce is one of them. Maybe he does realize it, but I just wanted him to come and tell his story. Bruce has made play a guiding light in every decision he's made. It's a guiding principle behind everything he does. And I really think you're going to love him. He works in a wide range of styles and mediums. Um, he does abstract painting, functional art, giant objects, which, oh my gosh, you, wait till you see the pictures, abstract and figurative sculptures, found object assemblages, and various forms of kinetic art, including mobiles, rolling ball machines, which he's working on right now, suspended magnet sculptures, oh my gosh, and so much more. Bruce's work has been exhibited worldwide. It had it appears in over 45 books and countless times on television and movies and in the press. And in the interview, you're going to hear about a little piece he created for Dr. Evil's Lair from the movie Austin Powers. So cool. Um, you'll also hear, actually, most importantly, how he got started, how a stint in the military in the Aleutian Islands plays a role in who he is today and some of the choices that he's made. Um, so much more. And now meet Bruce. Oh my gosh, Bruce, I'm so excited to be here with you. This is so fun. I'm in your actual home with all of this art. It feels kind of like I'm Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've sort of been getting to know you a little bit. We've had some interesting conversations and I think the thing that just boggles people's minds when they see the work of someone like you, like they see all of this amazing stuff. You think, well, you are just born with this knowledge of what you were supposed to do and you did it and here you are, you're a successful artist um, in the sense that you just, you've really, really made a huge mark and, and that's that. And people think, well, I'm not like that. That's not me. I, I could never do anything like that. But you kind of have a different story to tell. It, there was more of a winding journey, right? Right. Well, you know, nobody's <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's it's really a matter of walking down a lot of roads and mm -hmm. trying a lot of things. And like I was talking to you earlier, you know, it's it's one of those things that each thing you do, if you may find it totally irrelevant to anything you want to do in the future, but 
a lot of times that comes back to like just add a certain flavor or just a certain skill level to what you do in the future. Mm -hmm. Even if it's only used once in a while, it all kind of adds up and works together in the big picture things. You know? Absolutely. And, and to me, there are like, there are a lot of different things that go into it. There's kind of the chutzpah kind of factor of being willing to go out there and do it. Then there's the skill factor and sure. the confidence in, in that kind of thing. And, and that's some of what I'd like to sort of talk about in this interview. Um, so I'd kind of like to start with, I mean, because in the introduction, I told, you know, the basics of your bio and what you're known for. So I'd kind of like to get to the art a little later. Um, so can you kind of start with where you came from and how you kind of emerged to the point where you're at now? Like what gave you the impetus to start doing what you do, what you're known for. Like what, what were you doing before that? Kind of go back as far as you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, in junior high, I was a golf caddy for a while. Ooh. I'm not going to go that far back. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, every one of our jobs shapes us, right? <laughs> well, you know something, I will say one thing about that. And, and, you know, I wanted a bicycle really badly and neither of my parents would get me one. And so I just decided you know, I'm going to find a job. There happened to be a golf course up the street. I went up there and and caddied around golf bags for these guys. I couldn't have cared less about the game, <laughs> yeah. but I wanted a bike. Yep. And in a few months, I had enough to buy my bike. And, you know, that kind of set a little bit the tone for my entire life. I've hmm. always just enjoyed being able to, you know, make my own world happen. And, uh, you know, so it, it kind of was a significant thing. Yeah, it kind of teaches you early on that it's not like the job is the end. It's that that's a lever you can pull right. to get something that you really want. Exactly. It's not the end. And, yeah. Exactly. So, um, and then, you know, things went on to, you know, you know, being in high school, I was kind of clueless as what to do with myself <laughs> next. Um, you know, I had all kinds of aspirations uh, uh, and I, it, it just ended up being that, uh, I, I really didn't know. I just, by the time my four years of high school was over, I ended up, uh, trying to join the Navy SEALs and, awesome. and, and they talked me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I went in the Coast Guard instead, mm -hmm. um, which for me was probably one of the best things I ever did. It gave me a lot of uh, discipline and, uh, you know, kind of self-confidence mm -hmm. and, and, and just the, uh, you know, I've, you know, I had suffered through hard times and, and worked, you know, several days straight and, and the, the kind of thing most people don't really do at mm -hmm. that kind of age yeah unless you're in the service so you know after uh the coast guard i went in uh to college and uh college was easy for me you know um now granted i uh went out of my way to never have to take a math class again <laughs> i did the same so i'm like well what can how can i get through college without any math or science <laughs> And they're like, you can be an artist, you know? Oh. <laughs> so, you know, I went and I majored in design and photography. And, mm -hmm. and, and it actually, it was really the first time I found 
something that I really, really love to do and happen to be kind of good at, you know, mm -hmm. other than like in high school in, uh, you know, I took shop class and, and that I just seemed to have a natural talent for, you know. You know, and, and I actually, I've, I've have had these conversations with people and I had to edit it out of Brett's. It didn't fit um, Brett Dorr, who was on a few mm -hmm. weeks ago. Um, it just didn't fit in the conversation we were having and the overall flow of the conversation. But I really want to bring this back now is that shop for a lot of kids, it's, it's kind of seen as that, not in a bad way at all, but it's like, oh, well, you're not going to be on the track to go be a CEO. You're going to go sure. be in shop. Exactly. And, and when I was a kid, which, you know, we were somewhat of a similar era. Um, they were, it was not seen as something you wanted to be associated with as mm -hmm. much. It was kind of where you go when you're not academic. But right. moving into the brewery and seeing some of the brilliance that is created, and I hope to be able to include some pictures of what I'm looking at in your studio right now. Um, any kid who's ever taking a shop class should look at pictures of what I'm seeing at this moment. So honestly, just the brilliance that you bring to these pieces started in shop class. Well, and, not only that, wow. but you know, it was the fact that I realized at that point mm -hmm. that if you have some decent tools mm -hmm. and the mindset, you can make just about anything you want. Absolutely. And I made an electric guitar mm -hmm. completely from scratch with no instruction, no mm -hmm. kit, no parts, every single piece to that I made myself. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it was, it was a life-changing moment for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I really kind of realized that, that there's really nothing I can't do. Yes. At least in the world of things I can see. Yeah. I found that, you know, in math and science, stuff I can't see, <laughs> I, I wasn't quite so adept. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely relate to you there. I was all about words, so I didn't make things with my hands. But yeah, I felt the same way about math and science, unfortunately. Um, definitely a big admirer of mathematicians and scientists. Um, but yeah, it just it's. I think that the art of of creating things and making things with your hands should just be elevated so much more in our educational. Absolutely. World. Yeah. I think everybody should have a, at least a shop class. You know. Yeah. I, a lot of people don't take it for just, you know, the reasons you said. They don't really, you know, they, they kind of look at it as like, oh, well, we don't have basket weaving, so, mm -hmm. you know, we have shop. <laughs> but, you know, I got a lot out of it. Yeah, and, obviously. <laughs> um, well, you know, I had no other training in woodworking or, or metalworking mm -hmm. aside from shop class. And metalworking, <sighs> I mean, it was really just a matter of making one little tin lamp with a soldering iron and stuff it wasn't you know very elaborate but uh it just you know i felt like i had the capability of pushing that mm -hmm. if i wanted to mm -hmm. and it, it quite frankly it took me forever to do start doing that you know yeah i mean and there's so you did go into design and um in graphic design and sort right. of some of that stuff but the journey that took you from being a graphic designer and having kind of a regular job in this world um, to what you do now, it sounds like from some of the things I've heard you talk about before, some of that started in the Aleutian Islands. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some, would you mind sharing a little bit about that experience while you were in the military? Well, you know, uh, that was one of the most interesting 
and one of the most scary times of my <laughs> life. Uh, you know, it took us three attempts to land on the island because the pilot couldn't find it in bad weather. And oh I think he was a little tipsy on <laughs> top of that. And <laughs> uh, So... Uh, and and I remember the first time we did actually see the island, I just looked down there and just thought, oh, man, you have made some bad decisions in your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're going to spend a year. Yeah. All black volcanic uh, sand and no trees. Sounds no... like a great place to vacation and check out. But wow. Yeah, for a week or two. <laughs> for a year. A year is a long time. Yeah. No television, no radio, no women, no town. <laughs> it was it was a, a very unique experience. Yeah. And lots of crazy wild animals, bears everywhere, wolves, wolverines, oh my uh, bald eagles, seals, and whales. Mm. It was incredible. I mean... It, one of the things that has sort of bugged me is I wish I had gone there when I was a couple of years older, so mm. I wasn't quite so green. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we had some people up there that were kind of scary. Really? <laughs> yes. Like who? I'm so, so curious. Well, we had a guy who shot himself to get out early. Um, you know, oh, my. There were actually two shootings while I was there and a shooting right before I got there, and uh, you know, people don't necessarily do that well with isolation mm. and, um, uh, and, and the time drags. I mean, uh, the job I was in, in electronics, we were, we were worked so hard mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I, I had all of probably two entire days off in a year wow. and, and often worked overnight. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was a really difficult, demanding job. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the visuals and active volcano and black sand beaches and oh. and and Japanese glass fishing floats lying untouched on the beach and wow. and all these animals walking by, bears everywhere, whales all the time. Uh, I mean, it was it was just. It was just incredible as far as that kind of thing goes. What do you think it gave you going forward? Like, what do you think you brought back into the world after that time? An appreciation for everything. <laughs> Trees, yes. fast food, women, everything. I mean, you know, not necessarily in that order. But, <laughs> but uh, it was, it, it really did kind of... Uh, you know, the whole military experience just gives you a, a work ethic that the regular student just mm -hmm. does not have. But a year in, in isolated duty uh, amplifies that. Wow. And they give you an extra 30 days off a year. Oh, in wow. the military, they give you 30 off. But you do isolated, you get 30 days off after that. And they want you to take it before they see your face again. Oh, my God, I'm <laughs> they sure. They want you to, like, you know get a little bit back into normal. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I can imagine. Well, like, and so you did go back and you did go back to the regular world and you got, you know, you were in Boston, you said you, were well, I had, my next station was Florida for Florida. two years. Okay. And it was at that point, um, I just kind of, cause you know, at one point I was actually, I think really appreciating 
the kind of lifestyle that you get being in the military, you know, you get to see stuff that no one else gets to see. Hmm. You go to places no one else goes. And, you know, you've got great stories. And, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just absolutely fascinating. But, um, you know, you can get tired of being pushed around by some of the people that, uh, you know, just have a little bit of a power trip about mm-hmm. them. And, and that's kind of what happened to me. I got to my next station, got bossed around quite a bit by this warrant officer who was just a notoriously nasty dude. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, I'm like, well, you know, I, I just can't hang with this world for too mm-hmm. much longer. And, um, you know, I ended up deciding to uh, go to college afterwards and and try my hand at at design and you know see how that went and that obviously went well um well you know (laughs) for some reason even though i had never actually taken any kind of courses really in design or even very much in art other than like making ashtrays at the ymca or something (laughs) camp or some shit you know it's like uh I, I just I just found myself really, really uh, not only uh, attracted to the whole thing, but uh, I just wanted to I wanted to invest myself in it. Mm-hmm. And that's the same uh, attitude I had when I went in the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. you know I, I went in there and I joined Honor Guard in boot camp, which is basically like saying, hey, can you give me an extra like 40% work to do while I'm here? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I go after things, I like to do it up and and put my, you know, full level of uh, commitment to it. Mm -hmm. And and I definitely did that uh, both in the Coast Guard and in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thank thank being in the Coast Guard for that because I just did not have that ethic when I was in high school. Wow. So you heard it here that being an amazing artist can start in the military, in the Coast Guard. There are every kind of human being you can find on the planet serving in the military. And I think people sort of pigeonhole people easily um, when it comes to that kind of thing. If you're hearing grumbling right now or near a train going by. I love the brewery. <laughs> um, but yeah, I honestly think that there are some stereotypes that need to be broken about sure. who is out there doing that kind of work. Well, you actually get the whole gamut. I yeah. mean, you really do. You get, you'll meet people in boot camp alone. You'll meet people <laughs> from every single state, a bunch of other companies, I mean, countries and other uh, branches of the military. That's awesome. So you really meet a lot of people way outside what you grew up with. Yeah. And that happens very, very fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another odd thing is um, I went there the same day as a, a friend of mine from high school. We both went at the same time. And as soon as we had our hair shaved off and put in uniforms, we didn't even recognize each other. So there's <laughs> that as well. I mean, they take away that from you, your individuality yeah. in a lot of ways. So um, so that's kind of just interesting that you're dealing with people on that, on that level. Everybody kind of looks the same mm-hmm. and you're all suffering <laughs> from yeah, the yeah. same kind of you know situation. But, uh, but the life skills that you brought back home with you stayed with you in that sense. Absolutely. I, there's still, to this day, 
um, you know, just the work ethic and, and some of the skills and even, uh, you know, some of the things I learned in, in working in electronics and stuff. Mm. Uh, um, it, it just is, it really did transform my life for the better. That's awesome. And then, so you became a graphic designer and I've, I've, as a person who's worked in marketing, developed an incredible respect for great designers. It's just, I am not a visual person. I'm a, I'm a words person, which is why I ended up on the marketing side, mm -hmm. um, strategy side, writing side. I could see these people from design sitting in the same meetings that I was and they would just come up with these brilliant pictorial ideas that just would blow me out of the water like so what was that kind of life like I'm sure there are a lot of graphic designers or people who are drawn to that listening as well so well you know something I I really really enjoyed graphic design mm -hmm. um, you know some parts of it more than others for me uh, doing logo design really was uh, something that I, I debated about going into that kind of, um, uh, you know, even leaving where I was working in advertising mm -hmm. and starting my own agency. And I, I kind of wanted to specialize in doing stuff for bands, you know, just completely oh, do cool. <laughs> logo designs and album covers for bands. That was my yeah. goal. <laughs> but you did an amazing a logo for a certain big company that had something to do with airplanes that apparently is still a... I, I, yeah, I've done... I've, I did a lot of uh, fairly, you know, big projects for, you know, companies, uh, Raytheon and, mm -hmm. and others. Uh, you know, I was doing full-page uh, newspaper ads for them, and, and, and apparently they're still using one of my designs today, you know. Which is pretty like awesome. 30 years later. Yeah. <laughs> well, now they can actually put your name on it and be like, this was done by Bruce Gray. <laughs> well, then I'd, they'd have to probably pay me. They would probably, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, so tell me about this transition now. I know you, there, there were a couple of different locations away, and what brought you to Los Angeles? What what made the shift from you being a graphic designer? What started you on the journey to bring you to where you're at today? Well, surfing, chicks, cars. <laughs> All that, you know. Well, I'm kidding, but I'm not. Yeah. You know, you. I kind of grew up with that, you know, listening to the Beach Boys and, and California. And, uh, you know, I was working in Boston previously and... You know, I wanted to do modern art, and I just felt that Boston's a little conservative for that. You know, mm -hmm. they like to go shopping for their armoires down on Cape Cod, and <laughs> and not that there's anything wrong with armoires. Not that there's anything wrong. With that. <laughs> Gotta have an armoire. <laughs> but you know, in in what I wanted to do, I I felt that California would be a better place for me to do it, and I I was not wrong. I, it was you know, one of the best things I've ever done. I mean, I've never lived anywhere longer than four years at a time uh, in my life. And even that, I think I only hit once until I moved out here and, you know, moved into the brewery. And I've been here for 26 years now. Wow. So what was the instigating moment? I know there are probably a lot of people sitting out there in their job, maybe even graphic design, something they actually like, but something that moves you from kind of just following a more, I don't know, quote unquote normal or whatever you want to call it, path to kind of where you're at and what you've been doing. What instigated this? 
Like, what brought you out here? Well, I think there was always something underlying that, you know, I, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, I wanted to do something a little more permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom passed away suddenly, uh, brain aneurysm, and mm-hmm. and and that, it just kind of lit a fire under my ass. I, I was mm-hmm. like, you know, none of us know how much time we have here. And, no. and I could be saying the same thing 10 years from now. Oh, you know, one of these days I'll go do this, mm-hmm. go do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I just decided at that point, you know, the hell with it. You know, you only get one shot and I, I'm just going to risk it and move out to California and see if I can just start making my own art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not too long ago. We lost a, a dear friend here at the brewery from an aneurysm, Nicole, right. and she designed my wedding band. And it was just such a strange feeling that one day she's there and one day she's not. And it really became a I mean, it wasn't my mother, I can't even imagine, but just, yeah, that feeling of re- being reminded <laughs> that we have only so much time and we have For no sure. idea. For sure. Um, so you were, that kind of brought you to a point where you were ready to throw it all to the wind in a way? Or? Well, not only that, but it's almost taken me to the point of becoming like an art monk and all I do is work <laughs> because I'm, I, I'm a little irritated at myself that I didn't find this sooner yeah because i feel this is what i should have been doing my (laughs) whole life but it you know it took me into my 30s to to actually start Mm -hmm. um and and i wish i i I had started sooner but as i was talking to you earlier today um you know all these things that you've done in the past even if you don't really think they're that relevant to what you're doing now they they actually are they add they add some spice, they add some knowledge, some background mm-hmm. um, to to whatever you're doing. Yep. And and everything I've done in the past has done that. Yeah, that's really huge. Um, yeah, even if, if I, I have to say this now just in the conversation, if I had thought that one day I would want to be a podcast host or a radio host or do any of that stuff, I would have said, you're crazy, but that's because they didn't have podcasts they didn't have podcasts back then but just (laughs) i was on the church platform and i knew how to talk to people i knew how to present myself and do all these different things all these different pieces from being in marketing and bye bye train (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it all it all adds up to things that we can fall in love with later on at any given moment in our life right something could pop in and it doesn't mean that's going to be the thing forever it doesn't no and that's something that i think uh is a little weird, at least in my mind, that people get so hung up on kind of doing one thing. Yes. And I and I and this is the biggest complaint I've ever heard from galleries that I've talked to. Yeah. Is they're like, well, we we like all the stuff that you do, but you do too much stuff. <laughs> oh. They're like, we want you to have. You know, we want people to just walk and go, you know, kind of like you see a Liechtenstein or, or, mm-hmm. or you know, a Picasso or, you know, any anybody who has this, you know, one really definable style. Yeah. They're like, that's what people want. So, they, you know, people can walk <laughs> oh, in their house man. and they know who it is. And, what? Well, it's a thing, you know. Well, and, you know, and it goes with the whole branding model that everyone's so obsessed with these days. But you know, it's kind of made me uh, more successful 
being more diversified. Mm -hmm. And also, I will say that people who do know my work well, mm -hmm. uh, people who collect it and have been for a number of years, they say to me that they, they find certain similarities in all my work. Mm -hmm. um, which the the casual gallery that I talk to, uh, you know, just doesn't really pick up on. Mm -hmm. You know, they want something blatant, in your face, obvious. Yeah. Um, and I didn't become an artist to have some gallery owner tell me what to do. Because <laughs> to be a gallery owner, you don't even have to have taken an art course. True. You Very know, true. so why should they be telling me what to do? <laughs> Seriously. Well, and the cool part of it is that you have made it work. You get to do the things you do because you you fund your life. You pull those levers. You make it so that, you know, you didn't always live off of your art. You were making things you didn't necessarily love to be able to get there, um, which I think a lot of people kind of think, well, I'll just sell my art someday and that'll be it. Um, you worked your way here. Um, For sure. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you really just have to be persistent as yes. hell. You know, it'd be very easy to give up on on this kind of world. I mean, uh, you know, I've I've endured a lot of stuff most people would not. You know, <laughs> I've eaten peanut butter sandwiches for weeks at a time. <laughs> you know, I've gotten six months behind on my bills. Yeah. Um, it's been scary sometimes, yeah. for sure. Um, but, it, you know... And that kind of stuff used to bother me mm -hmm. in the earlier days. But then I kind of got to the point where, you know, it's not even worth worrying about that crap. Uh, if you just plow ahead, yep. you'll catch up, you'll get your shit done. Mm -hmm. And 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 that's just how it is. It doesn't help you to stress out too much about mm -hmm. worrying about that kind of thing. As long as you stay focused. Yes. Now, if you don't stay focused, <laughs> then you're screwed. Yeah. But um, as long as you can keep your focus on, on your work, then that's really almost the key thing. You know? And, you know, people, there's, there's, this, there's this almost nobility to going through something like that when you read about it in the startup world. And I've now met enough people who are a part of that world who have just story after story of... Um, what they had to sacrifice to get where they are, sure. how they had to eat ramen every day or sure. how they were able to raise their kids or, you know, I mean, we've had a couple on the podcast and just so many like stories of sacrifice Absolutely. and people fall behind on bills. People eat peanut butter like that's That's what they do. And it's more kind of noble in a startup business sense in the, in the, you know, but when it comes to an artist, like, oh, starving artist, that's not realistic. Right. But well, it's you... never bothered me to pay those dues. Mm -hmm. I don't really care. Yes, I can. Yeah. Like I see the persistence when I look around this place. I see the prolificness of just who you are and you just keep pushing. Well, this is this is really all I do. Yeah. I, you know, I traveled around a lot when I was younger. I've had a lot of crazy, wild adventures, mm -hmm. done a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> but um, now this is what I prefer to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't been on a vacation in, I don't know, 20-something years other than maybe a three-day weekend at Tops. Wow. And, and it's because if I leave, I miss doing this. Yeah. And also... You know, I feel like, hey, you know, I'm 60 now. Uh, I have a limited time on this planet, and 
I want to, there's a lot of stuff I want to create while I'm still here. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> no, that is the most beautiful thing that you can say. Wow. And, 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 you know, I, 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 you talked at one point, we were having a discussion earlier today and you said something about, speaking of creating, um, I'm seeing wall hangings and I'm seeing, you know, different kinds of mobiles hanging from the ceilings and, and robots and statues and, or sculptures. And, but there's also an end table that looks like a crocodile and there's a, a coffee table that looks like a shark. And, and, and I know that, you know, part of your world was making furniture. We were having this discussion about design and functionality. And I, there's a conference coming up in April, I mentioned, um, where they're going to talk about design meets play. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of like to get your take on that. I know sometimes it's hard for an artist like you to make a table for someone. They're going to end up paying a lot for it, and rightfully so. <laughs> but as far as, like, can you talk a little about your ideas of functionality in art and sort of, I don't know, what what you think of that whole discussion? Um, well, you know, functionality in art it's it's kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it a lot better when I'm calling the shots completely. Yeah. When you when you get a commission from someone who has certain exact parameters, mm-hmm. that can add so much extra work and drama. Just trying to appease a few measurements and yeah. and and other things that uh, uh, it it makes it a lot less fun. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. Uh, I think a lot of artists, uh, not me in particular, but a lot of people I talk to tell me that, you know, that they're, they're a little kind of stagnating in, in, uh, wanting to come up with a new kind of concept or new idea. And sometimes if someone just throws something in your lap, that's something you've never done before. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of getting a project in college. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, I never really thought of doing this weird combination <laughs> of things. And and I think that pulls something out of you mm-hmm. that you, you may never have thought of before. And it may end up uh, turning into something uh, that that becomes a, a, a long-term uh, endeavor for you. Like, uh, you know, for me, like these, the magnet sculptures I do, I was mm-hmm. invited to you know, being a, a show on magnetism and, awesome. um, you know, I've been making magnetic sculptures for now, <laughs> uh, you know, 25 years or so. Yeah. That, what, what were you doing in the show? Like, what would you want to maybe expand on that a little bit? Sounds interesting. Um, well, I think I made at least three or four different magnetic sculptures. Mm-hmm. Um, I was introduced into the world by the guy who was curating the show Mm -hmm. who came by my studio and showed me these super powerful magnets that were really super tiny only i think three sixteenths diameter circle by about an eighth inch deep what and they were so strong that it, it was it took a little effort to separate them apart and and I was like, wow, I have never seen magnets like this before. And yeah. I immediately was intrigued. Yeah. And one of the things that I've done is I made a ring, a big metal ring. And I, I mount these magnets on the inside of the ring. And then I tie other magnets on strings. Um, so they all kind of uh, 
you know, have a direction towards one of the magnets on the frame, mm-hmm. but they're tied back a ways so they float in space. They have like, you know, up to like an inch or so of space between the magnets cool. and they just float. And if you touch the strings, they all kind of jiggle and bounce and, um, and it just it just looks like it it shouldn't be happening. That's awesome. <laughs> and and those I've done for uh you know like you know I've done very large scale ones. I've done outdoor versions. I had uh, one well featured on an Austin Powers movie and Doctor mm-hmm. Evil's Lair and <laughs> that's um, awesome. And a whole bunch of other TV shows and stuff. They've, that's cool. They've gotten quite a bit of press and also like a bunch of uh, textbooks around the world and <laughs> all nice. kinds of things. So you just never really know. No. <laughs> and I, I keep I, I keep thinking of something you just earlier said as we were just talking about the magnets and just how cool that is, that of all the things you could do with our limited time on Earth, you couldn't wait to get home to keep creating. Right. And that, you, you told me at one point, like that every day is kind of this playfulness here right this is what your studio is all about right yeah i like to think about it as like unsupervised shop class for the rest (laughs) of your life (laughs) that sounds amazing (laughs) oh i think i'll just be making throwing kung fu stars all day you know (laughs) (laughs) well did you have that kind of opportunity as a kid did you have unsupervised play when you were growing up uh well i mean not in shop class (laughs) well not in shop class probably yeah but i mean i'm just because people are talking about that a lot these days well yeah i mean uh my parents got divorced in like fifth grade and my dad moved to Switzerland and mm-hmm. we never saw the dude, mm. you know, I hardly even knew him. Yeah. Uh, and my mom, uh, since he wasn't paying child support, she immediately had to go out and, and work every day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we, we did a lot of, uh, uh, unsupervised activities. <laughs> <laughs> this, this grin you're giving me makes me wonder what these are, but maybe we shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> Well, I'm sure no, the statute of limitations is up. I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> this was when I was a kid. Yeah, of course. No, but that's actually really important. And, you know, it's it's one of the things people are talking about right now for a reason, because children need to, and there are ways they're trying to make it somewhat safe and let it still be somewhat unsupervised. It's, it's well, when I was a kid, there were also, you know, you could, I, I had a chemistry set that was like, Ooh. you know, like six panels of folding uh, shelves of, uh, you know, dozens of chemicals you are not allowed to buy anymore. <laughs> and not to mention asbestos and alcohol burners and all what? this kind of stuff. And asbestos oh, God, yeah. was in there? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Tons of stuff. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I'm lucky I didn't burn a family house <laughs> yeah. down. And I remember myself and my best friend making all kinds of concoctions with this thing. And, <laughs> um, but... Yeah, you know, those things went out of business for a good reason. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> wow. Well, I am just so excited that you agreed to join me on this little adventure with Playgrounding. And on, and honestly, all the talk about play and, and discussing it as a concept is, is great. And I think it's necessary and we need it. But one of the things that I think makes this endeavor worthwhile is talking to people like you people who have embraced it in ways that most of us haven't learned how to do yet. And 
So I'm really appreciative of you coming and talking on this podcast because this is what makes it fun. And you're the you're the real world example of what it means to put play into action in our lives and to make that decision. And so I just want to thank you for sharing your time. Oh, absolutely. I thank you for having me. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed this experience. And <laughs> um, you know, it's there's there's no reason to just get old and and feel like you have to follow some certain path nope um if for me the best thing i ever did with my life was find something that i love to do and that's why i get to play every day you know yeah i mean sometimes it's not always fun you know i'm trying to put together an archimedes screw today for this rolling ball machine kinetic sculpture and yeah you know, some days go by and you're just like, oh my God, you know, I'm actually going backwards on this project. And, 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 but that's part of it. You know, that's, that's okay. It's not always Um, easy. Especially in, in rolling ball machines, there, there can be a lot of um, trial and error, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's okay. It actually makes it more rewarding when you get the thing finished Mm and, um, and then you have something cool to show and, yeah. Even though I don't get to keep it, I still get the, <laughs> you know, the the photos and and the video, which add to my portfolio. And, Absolutely. And and those are like my children to me, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I, your children are amazing, and they're all over these walls. I'm so excited. <laughs> and and what what is there anything that coming up that you're doing, or anything you'd like to draw people's attention to right now? Is um. Um. Well, let's see. I'm doing a family of robots for a children's hospital coming up. Um, they're Yay. being laser cut right now, so I, I should so actually cool. have them Friday, I think. Okay. Um, so that's going to be fun. And I love finished. your robot t-shirt. Is that something people can find and purchase by any chance? It is. If they go to, <laughs> I love it. I have. I don't have one yet, and I'm really mad about that. They just have to go to my website. BruceGray.com. Uh, BruceGray.com. <laughs> I will be doing that very thing. And, um, you know, I, I'm also working on the rolling ball machine sculpture for a cruise ship. Cool. And a bunch of my... Uh, metal paper planes that are going to be stuck on the outside of a gym in uh, Illinois. <laughs> That's awesome. I think, did I see one around here somewhere? Uh, well, yeah, there's some unfinished ones oh, over there. <laughs> yeah, this place really is amazing. And I'll be sure to uh, take pictures of whatever I can at some point and not what I can't. But um, yes, if you are so lucky to get to see any of this work and go to brucegray.com. Um, and if you go to playgrounding.com, Slash, oh, I don't know the number of this episode yet, but <laughs> this episode show notes will have links to all of Bruce Gray's information. So, um, and I will probably be getting a T-shirt by the time this thing uh, you publishes. Are. I'm so giving you one. For no, free, I'm right gonna up. buy one. I'm gonna be no, a good customer not. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you, when you see these T-shirts, you'll understand. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you again so much. This has been an amazing interview. Oh, really you're excited. welcome. Thank you very much, Kara. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Check out the Playgrounding podcast at playgrounding.com slash 27 to find links to Bruce's website, including the magnetic sculptures we talked about and the robot family and so much more. Now I gotta go. I gotta get ready to be locked in a castle outside of Berlin this weekend. Yeah. Bye. Bye.